This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's now time for Women on the Waves, a show focusing on issues affecting women, here on Christchurch's community access station Plains FM. Rachel Hazelden, and today on Women's Lives, Women's Stories, I'm speaking to Sarah Mankalo, photographer, storyteller, journalist, and conservationist. Sarah is part of the team who creates the wonderful Humans of Christchurch, Ōtutahi, Ōtutahi, practice saying that. <laughs> it's the storytelling project, photo and storytelling project. Kia ora, Sarah. What's my you to volunteer on this? Well, two reasons. One, um, I um, love writing and I wasn't doing much with my current job. I'm currently working for the council and the parks department with um, uh, volunteers as a volunteer coordinator. Uh, But that job didn't really involve writing, which is one of my passions. And the other was, um, it was a great opportunity to profile some of our volunteers uh, so, you know, the opportunity came up. Um, the, one of the photographers on the project had asked me for some to nominate some people and I instantly could think of several that I wanted to tell stories about. And then I said, you know, do you need another writer? Because I'd love to be able to participate as well and contribute. So it went from there. Do you take photos as well? Not for this project, no. I'm purely an amateur photographer, just for fun. Uh, we have two wonderful professional photographers on the team, Century Chan and Neil Macbeth. So really, they, <laughs> my skills in that area are just for my own pleasure. So, um, yeah, I focus on the story writing. Right. And I, I went down a rabbit hole. I just I just <laughs> looked at the photos and I read them and uh, the the simplicity and the beautiful things that were captured, I was like, how on earth do you, which bit, and which bit do you take of all the things that you talk about? That can be a challenge. I mean, I do, as a journalist, I do tend to go in with a story in mind, but you have to keep an open mind because sometimes, as you say, a rabbit hole could open up and you can be led down a completely different path. Uh, one of the stories that I wrote was about our wonderful um, Sue Bai, who's a volunteer in Kashmir, and yeah, she approached because she's just such a joy. She's a wonderful, joyful person who gives to her community. But when I went to talk to her, she started talking to me about grief, um, having spent all her working years as a teacher and then as an um, oncologist nurse. And the way she described grief as as a feather cloak uh, was just so evocative that I had to, I had to use that in the story. It was, it was so beautiful. Yes. But it was connected to who she was anyway, because uh, she was a giver. So all her life she'd given, she'd worked in a given giving um, way. And, and so in retirement, of course, she had to volunteer for her community because that's just who she was. She had to keep giving. So um, in some ways, it was it was still part of the story, but it did take me on a different path to what I originally had thought I'd be writing about. Mm. So, 
you're not you don't go together at the same time as a photographer or you do i do sometimes um neil and i um work quite well together and it can be quite um an experience actually uh, for example one recent story we went out to Taitapu where there's a young woman living in a yurt and so both of us went out together and we both sat and we both chatted a bit like what you do here it was just a conversation but I guess what the Humans Project does is it allows you to ask those deeper questions that we don't often ask each other in everyday life you know mm. we we say oh what did you do for New Year's or how was your weekend or you know did you do how are you feeling it's there's it, not we, we tend to quite often in conversations stay at the shallow end of the pool. Mm. Whereas, the Whereas I'm like, let's just dive in there. <laughs> don't, want to t- don't want to talk about the weather. I just want to know. <laughs> well, you know, there's some safety in that, isn't there? You know, it's, it's safe to stay at the shallow end of the pool. But, um, yeah, it's quite, quite it's, it's a side effect that I didn't realise I would um, get into with the Humans Project was just this opportunity to talk to amazing people, but to delve a little bit beyond what you normally would talk to. And some of these people are, you know, I'm only meeting for the first time when we have these conversations. We turned up at her house at her yurt and she walked us around and we sat and we talked and we drank kombucha and had a fantastic conversation. And then Neil said, oh, I'll better take a photo. Then he took up and got it in one shot. And uh, it was amazing. It was such a wonderful experience. Um, And the opportunity to do this and these people, you know, they're just so welcoming and and wonderful and it's a great way to connect with the stories that everyone has to share. And you live in Christchurch yes. or Tatahi. Yes. And what how does this affect your view of Christchurch and the people in the community in Christchurch hearing these stories? Yeah, it's it shows you that um, there is that multifaceted lens to Christchurch. I mean, it has definitely changed. I came down to Christchurch from Tauranga as a student to go to university. And I went to Lincoln University to start with, so that was very monocultural, you could say. A lot of North Canterbury farmers' sons um, all dressed the same in their dip-hand boots. And <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can, I guess, just look at Christchurch and think, oh, yeah, that's that's what it is. But um, and we do try to explore the diversity of Christchurch. Sometimes you do need to look a little bit deeper, but it's definitely there. There's wonderful, creative, uh, exotic communities, and um, it's a real pleasure to to explore them. Yeah. Um, one of the pleasures I had was um, Jordan. His story was quite um, got a great response, and so he was from Wellington, young man who came down and, and said that Christchurch allowed him to be the person that he wanted to be you know he came down and found the freedom to be able to express himself as he wanted to express himself which for Christchurch is yeah that's quite yeah because I do hear people say the opposite yes exactly yeah Yeah. you know or grew up in Christchurch want to leave Christchurch yeah well I guess that's the same as anyone if you move to a place then you become you can reach in the way that you want others to see you so and I think post-earthquake Christchurch is doing that as a city it's almost like it's become it's become a person itself, you know. People are the people within it are saying, "Well, what city do we want to have? Um, let's create it." And and that's come through through all those wonderful innovations that have come out post post earthquake. Yeah, mm. and the opportunity to reshape and reform our city and 
and to make it what we want it to be. Mm. Somewhere I read up about the project, talking about Christchurch qualities of resilience, creativity and innovation. Yes, yes. So quite a few of our stories um, touch on those themes. Um, we have spoken, obviously, to a few people and uh, obviously some of the stories of those that stayed on post-earthquake and created opportunities and, and um, shaped them, uh, found new ways of working, um, creativity. Um, others, obviously, you know, the journey was... A, a rocky one and so that's changed them in other ways um, and how the way how they've come through that so um, yeah it's mm. shaped experiences and I think by being having been brave enough to share some of those experiences like I think did you come across Lewi's story the the firefighter mm, I did. Um, yeah so big you know big tough Maori dude firefighter you know hero real hero type you look at him and you think oh yeah he's got it all sorted but then being able to open up about suffering through post-traumatic stress disorder post-earthquake meant that you know people can feel less vulnerable within themselves and say well look you know it's okay to feel not okay hmm. you know if that's if that's your reality yeah yeah so. the power of of talking about mental illness and mental health yes yeah definitely <coughs> experiences you know if um it becomes less oh my god what's wrong with me then oh okay there's someone else that feels the same way i'm not alone in this and i can go out and somebody will understand if i if i talk about it and open up about it mm. and somewhere you wrote too stories make sense of our world uh and that's what you want to share. What is it about it, you think, that makes sense of our world? Or how's that affected your life? Well, um, I guess if you think about it, you know, humankind have been telling stories for centuries. You know, it's how we explain the world around us. Um, every culture has it. Um, Papatuanuku, the ground below us. The her baby within the womb, rolling over in his mother's stomach, you know, describes the earth shake, shaking. Um, yeah, religions and, and myths and, and um, creation stories are our way of making sense of the world around us. And um, yes, yeah, and, and our brains are hardwired, I think, to understand stories better in that way. Um, and I loved how you shared that these themes have always run along parallel in your life, like when you were a kid, that it was Don, your inspiration was Don Merton and Margaret Mayhew, like the stories and nature and conservation. Yes, and in fact, uh, some of the stories about Don Merton, obviously um, there's a beautiful children's book called Little, um, Little Blue, which was the name of the first black robin uh, that he read from. Um, so, yeah, when I was young, I was kind of torn in two directions. I didn't know whether I wanted to be a writer or a conservationist like Don Merton. So Don Merton and Margaret Mayhew were my two heroes. And through chance or serendipity or good management, I'm not sure which one, but I've managed to combine a career that's included both of those um, streams. So, yeah, I went to Lincoln University and studied Parks and Recreation Management, worked for DOC for 17 years, um, got employed as a journalist part way through that so I did my journalism 
qualification through Massey online. And uh, yeah, that had some wonderful years working, telling stories about all the wonderful work that conservationists do out there for us. So yeah. And so the humans part of that is is just yeah, carrot continuing that journey of of telling stories. Yeah, and finding new and creative ways to connect. I yes. saw that. I saw there was um, what was it? Something Valentine's Day, like a tree planting. <laughs> I was like, why didn't I know about that last Valentine's Day? <laughs> spade dating. You're talking about spade dating. Yeah, it was like last year, 2019. We've done it two years now, so that was. Um, yeah, getting creative, I guess, with um, encouraging people to contribute to the outdoors. So, yes, myself and Hamish from Conservation Volunteers came up with the idea of spade dating for Valentine's Day. So, yeah, getting young singles out and planting trees um, and uh, chatting and meeting each other in a, in a non-threatening, positive way. It's been amazing. Lovely idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We actually, uh, the last one, I, I can't help myself because I start talking to interesting people and then I go, oh, you'd be great. Can I do a human story on you? So the last spade dating one, I actually took a guy's phone number home, even though I'm safely married, <laughs> purely so I could follow up with him for, for humans. So um, his story hopefully will be coming out in the next few weeks. Lovely. Lovely. <laughs> when I was reading things about, that you'd written online and when I rang you the first time we talked, I loved, absolutely loved the way your two passions of storytelling and your commitment to the environment and nature and conservation just weave. They just go backwards and forwards. You know, working with Department of Conservation, um, doing journalism, uh, even your, fo your photos of your family on Instagram, they just all weave together. Um, and I love that. I really love that. Yeah, well, I guess, um, you know, you've made me look back and think about my 15-year-old self and those two passions, um, conservation and story writing. And, yeah, those two things have been a big part of my life. There have been two streams that, have you say, have been woven together just like a braided river, you could say. Yeah. Um, nature has always been um, important to me. I, I do find, like I live in the city, but I do find that if I don't get nature time, I, I go a bit screwy. So, I'm, you know, it's an integral part of me and my own mental and um, whole well-being. Mm. And I guess, um, you know, I, I followed first the conservation career path by entering Department of Conservation, but storytelling followed me there. and. Um, by becoming the journalist, and what I often found myself focusing on was was the people that were working there. I started writing a lot of stories about people working in conservation. Um, they became the heroes, and I guess to me, you know, conservation and and the people behind it, and um, you know, they are intricately connected mm. in this world. And and you mentioned Don Merton. I really didn't know a lot about him. I read up about him. It's shocking. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I now know who, I will forever know who Don Merton is. Yeah, what, well, do you, what do you love about what he's done? Well, he was the hero. But the thing is, I guess, you know, he was the famous one. But for me, I guess my hero is my dad. And if you go back and look. Um, Tell me about your dad. 
Yeah, pardon? Tell me about your dad. Well, so he worked with Department of Conservation as well. So I'm a, I was a second generation. So he was the one that took me out to nature, you know. He, he used to work up in the Kaimaumamaku State Forest Park um, running an education lodge. So we would have free reign. Um, he would take us up there and we'd just go wild, basically, you know, roaming the forest and streams and things. And I think back now how, <laughs> how much freedom we have. Sounds and, amazing. Yeah, it was amazing, and I, I you know, I, my own kids don't have that amount of freedom. We're almost too scared now to let them out of our sight. But, um, and I think that's been a big part of shaping who I am. Um, but he, again, he's he's so community minded. You know, he's volunteered hours and hours and hours through his work with Landsar um, Youth Search and Rescue Mountain Safety Council, and um, again, you know, nature and people um, taking at risk youth out kayaking down the Whanganui River, things like that, you know, those experiences in nature that he gave them, you know, hopefully provide a positive role model and experience for them that they'll never forget. And he did that for me with my childhood and that led me on the conservation path quite strongly. Um, I guess, so I owe him that. And the storytelling, I guess, is, is something from my heart and the two are intimately connected. And how did you... Because I didn't grow up learning Māori myths and legends. How did you come to know them? Oh, I, I don't know. I have got very strong memories of walking in the forest singing. Yeah, I don't know. So I grew up in Toronga, so I guess it's a bit closer to um, some of those, um, yeah, less, less than monocultural Christchurch but mm. I think yeah I am Pākehā and um, it, it's taken me a while and I've learned little bits as I've gone through but I don't think any New Zealander should be ignoring that part of our, our heritage. Um, it's uniquely Aotearoa and, and we all um, can play a role in revitalising the language and the stories and bringing them to life and yeah I see I see those stories in the landscape around me um, in the places that I visit and that I get my um, my Māori, my spirit from, spending time in nature, mm. um, feet in the earth on Papa Tuanuku looking up at Anginui. And I'm, I'm really pleased that my children um, know and share these stories too. Mm-hmm. And I see the family things, you do things for Matariki as well. Mm. Well, that's um, through work mostly. I've um, had the privilege of working and um, with some wonderful people um, who have a Aronga garden established on Styx River. And yeah, we've I've helped out with a, a beautiful night walk in the a dawn planting for Matariki the last couple of years, and that's yeah, it's a pretty magical experience. Mm. Again, you know, you're resetting your clock. Um, starting the new year by putting your hands in the soil, touching Papa Tuanuku, establishing new life, and then, you know, getting together, sh- gathering, sharing stories and, and sharing kai and bringing the people together. So mm. it's a true celebration. What are your some of your favourite landscapes around Christchurch and Canterbury? Well, I don't 
they all give you something, don't they? I mean, I live near the hills, so um, I lived in Arthur's Pass for five years, so I've always gravitated to hills. Um, but I also love the beach, and there's just something about arriving at the beach with the dog. He's just absolute pleasure to watch when he gets there and just the energy that he gives off. Um, so that's blue therapy, I guess. You know, you go to the beach and you just feel revitalised. So I have had days where you're feeling just that little bit glum or down in the dumps. You go to the beach and within five minutes it's gone. It's been swept away by the ocean winds. and mm. Yeah, just, um, yeah, it's amazing. So hills and beaches. And the thing is about Christchurch, you've got all of those in abundance and not far away. Thank you for uh, sharing that with me. I get to, I get to see my home city with different eyes. Yeah, and I and I, I love, I love, the humans of Christchurch. Uh, mission, stories, the collaborations. Um, I got so much joy looking at the photos and reading the stories. Um, so thank you to you and the team that put that together. And I hope to see many, many more um, humans on that site. Yeah. No city without people. No, no. Anything else that you want to mention before we finish up? Oh, I just, I guess I just would like to say thank you to all those humans that have um, been open and, and willing to tell their story. Um, yeah, it's every, every story is a privilege and, um, and a gift. Um, quite often, you know, we get told s stories that aren't for public consumption, you know, we say, this is not for publication, but I'd just like to share this with you. And and there's a lot of trust and faith with those sorts of gifts that you'll you'll hold that story and keep it safe. Um, so yeah, I feel really privileged to be part of this humans project and to meet these wonderful people. Mm. Beautiful. We're going to finish program with a song that you've chosen. Uh, so. Missy Higgins' cover of Stuff and Nonsense. What had you choose that song? Uh, it's one I love. And I guess um, if, if you were going to tell the story of my life, it would have us definitely have a Kiwi soundtrack. Um, mm -hmm. there's, there's a number of songs that, you know, that sort of mark periods of my life. And this is one of them. I sort of came out in 1979. So early life, obviously, but yeah, yeah. like childhood <laughs> in the wild of Tauranga. So yeah. I just love it. The words are beautiful, aren't they? The words are beautiful. And I just, I love, I love the phrase stuff and nonsense. It's sort of like, I guess it goes with storytelling, isn't it? It, it can feel like stuff and nonsense, but it's, it's, it's meaning to you and to, and to the reader. Beautiful. Thanks for your time, Sarah. Thank you. So bad.
first it's yes and then it's no I dilly dally down to do all but I got no secrets then I babbled in my sleep I won't make promises to you Just.